Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of a banana Republican to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mike, just laughing at banana Republican. <laughs> That's excellent. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the historical fallacy. So the historical fallacy is where you assume that the situation that you're in now is just what was inevitably going to happen and you ignore history you ignore the context of how we got there and by doing so you can conveniently claim that stuff that was needed to get to where we are now actually wasn't needed Mm. and i actually don't have a trump example for this week i haven't i kind of have a a tangentially related to trump example but what i found about this particular fallacy is that it, this is one of the, the hardest ones to explain without using examples. And it's also one of the hardest to find actual clips for that kind of really explain it well, because yeah. there aren't many things that are always said when this happens. Um, mm, and I yeah. and I know that Trump has done this. And um, we know that it's going <laughs> to at some point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're just preparing um, you. But, but but finding yeah. those exact clips where where it happens is is quite hard. But this clip is from Tucker Carlson, and it represents quite a lot of well stuff that has been said on Fox News quite recently. You may remember what they first told us back in February and March. They said we have to take radical steps in order to quote flatten the curve. Well, six weeks later, we're happy to say that curve has been flattened, but it's likely not because of the lockdowns. The virus just isn't nearly as deadly as we thought it was. All of us, including on this show, everybody thought it was. But it turned out not to be. Hospitals never collapsed. Outside of a tiny number of places, they never came close to collapsing. So Tucker is claiming that the curve has been flattened, but probably not because of the lockdowns. Based on what? (laughs) Yeah, nothing, just time. So all of the models before we locked down said if we don't do this if we don't do social distancing if we don't do lockdowns it's going to be terrible there's going the hospitals will be overrun and uh there'll be up to two and a half million deaths 2.2 million i think was the imperial college model and although we are very much not past the end of this by any means it's not looking like it's going to be there and as tucker said the, the hospitals haven't been overrun and that's because we did it because <laughs> we did what we did yeah 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 that was the thing the things that you need to do in order to prevent this swamping people and many many thousands hundreds of thousands of people dying just, just do that so we did that and sure enough it's like that thing, yeah <laughs> smile things could get worse so i smiled and then things got worse <laughs> yeah it's that yeah. it's kind but of a very Tucker Carlson judge Janine or whatever her name is um are saying this kind of stuff you know all of the stuff we were saying before about how this was all an overblown conspiracy theory is all you know it's turned out to be true because look it hasn't got as bad as they said it could possibly get if we didn't do all that stuff yeah so yeah 
So you kind of got to have a, uh, you've got to have the parallel universe when things didn't happen. Yeah. Or things weren't done. And then loads of people. So in order to be able to say that, because that's the whole point of this fallacy, isn't it? That you try to do a, a Doctor Who type thing where you conflate the timeline or a Back to the Future thing, conflate the timeline that you're now in with the one that you were from. So the example, the guy who invented this one or spotted it and defined it and only as recently as 1856, I think. Um, the example he uses is man loses his wallet. He looks all over for it, finds it, and then says, oh, I knew it was there all the time. Yeah. So that that's the bit where the, the timeline where he's found his wallet now becomes, replaces the timeline where he'd lost his wallet. So, and yet you're using, you're moving the stuff you've got now back into that time. So Tucker Carlson's going, ah, right. Yeah. So hardly anybody died. And so the predictions that everyone was going to die are wrong. Yeah. And you go, well, no, hang on a minute. You've (laughs) just taken the result of all the stuff that we've done and moved it back in time and said, we just see we didn't need to do that. Because, yeah, when we were talking about this one, the example that I had that kind of triggered the thought for me was I, I once taught a weekend kids um, to make a film and we spent the Saturday planning the film, coming up with a story, working out what we're going to do, where we're going to do it, what props we needed and costumes and stuff like that. So didn't do any filming on the on the Saturday. On the Sunday, we did we did all the filming and then we got to the end of the day and I kind of cut it together as well, and we showed the a rough cut of it. Got to the end of the day, and I said, is there anything that you do differently um, next time? And one kid said, yeah, let's not do all the planning next time. <laughs> so so there, which just, and you go, ah, yeah, there it is, because that was the boring bit. You know, can we, can we just do the filming, just get to Sunday without having to do the Saturday? And he go, well, yeah, but we couldn't do this. Completely <laughs> lost on him. Yeah. He just didn't get it at all. So the example I was looking for, a clip for Trump Mm. for, was that he claimed at some point, I'm absolutely sure, that because the Mueller report absolutely exonerated him and showed that he did absolutely nothing wrong, that proved that the investigation wasn't necessary. Right. Ah, there you go. Yes. I can't find the clip of where he said that or the tweet. And I've looked and again, because he's talked about Mueller so many times, it's just kind of lost in a morass of, of quotes. Yeah. But... Yeah. But he, I remember him doing it, and maybe it's like some Mandela effect thing, and it didn't never happened. But that's what I remember. Obviously, if if that was what the evidence showed, you need to do the investigation to find out that you need to yeah. to actually prove something before you can say, yeah. "Look, we didn't need an investigation because because yeah. it didn't prove anything." It, it, um, we'll skip over the fact <laughs> that it didn't actually exonerate him. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. you know that's it, a given. Yeah. But the um, yeah. what Tucker is doing here is relying on a viral video from a couple of doctors in Bakersfield who this went all around the, the right wing blogosphere and every it was on it was on and then taken off various social media networks mm. because of the misinformation. But yep. these two doctors, what they did what before holding a press conference was they gathered the numbers of people they had tested for coronavirus in California yep. and looked at the percentage of people that they tested who ended up having the coronavirus 
and then extrapolated that out to all of California. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. um, so from yeah. the like 2,700 people or something that they tested, they worked out that probably 4 million Californians had the coronavirus, but only like thousands of them had died. So that means that the chances of dying from this are incredibly small. But of right. course, I mean, I honestly, this the press conference video that they made was probably 45 minutes. I could not sit through more than 10 minutes of it without just screaming. Because you don't have to be a doctor to realise that the people who are going to come for a test to see whether they have a disease probably have a higher chance of having that disease than the general yeah. population. Yeah. You can't just take one number and extrapolate it out to a whole state and say, yeah, it's probably the same, and okay. then yeah. make a, a decision on that, that, that actually this, this disease, which all of the experts all around the world say is virulent, contagious, and dangerous, and, and say, well, you know, we've proved that it isn't. So, Yeah, but looking at the people that we've tested and of whom... Very few have died. Yeah. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics corner. OK, so it's not quite Britpole, my first example, and it's kind of Jim's territory. So let's call it Mid-Atlantic Pole for this one. For this one, jumped out at me. It was in the uh, independent newspaper here in the UK. Um, and it's about this protest that was going on that's being voiced by this person in the clip. We have flattened the curve and we have lessened the pain uh, of this. I know people are still going to get sick, and I think that's horrible. I've personally known people that have passed, but this grip of destruction that Michigan is under right now just feels like bureaucracy. Instead of looking at essential and non-essential, let's start looking at what's safe and unsafe and start getting people back to work. So there's all sorts of fallacious stuff going on in there. But basically that was so that was the voice of Michonne Maddock, who's a Michigan Conservative Coalition member. Guess how she votes. Uh, so she's complaining about the lockdown that's been implemented by the Michigan, Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and she's a Democrat. And here comes the historical fallacy. It's been so successful a lockdown to protect the, nor- the poorer north of the state that the very people who live there are sceptical about whether COVID-19 exists at all. There are only 95 cases in all of the North, North Michigan counties, and there's like 21 of them in the North Peninsula, 95 cases to date. There's 17,000 in Wayne County alone in the southern uh, part of Michigan. So they're, they're, it's been such a successful lockdown that there are that so few cases <laughs> that people don't think it exists. And they're the ones protesting they're amongst the same people protesting to ease the lockdown. And on the 15th of April, armed protesters lurked menacingly in the State House, where the governor uh, overruled the Senate vote with executive orders to extend the lockdown. They, the Republicans put through these bills to say, let's lift the lockdown. And she is so concerned that the, the uh, northern states haven't got sufficient economic and medical resources to be able to respond to um, um, the outbreak, an outbreak the size of which is going on in the southern part of Michigan. Um, so she 
implemented some executive orders. She just overruled the uh, the easing of the lockdown. And said, "Nope, we're just we're going <laughs> to keep it going," and um, and people have took to the streets, some in masks and full Ebola hazmat yeah. suits, and I, kind of weirdly. I, I mean, even in states where there is wide-ranging open carry laws that are, you know allow people to carry AK-47s or AR-15s or whatever. Um, I I know that there are areas where you're not allowed to take guns into, like courthouses and schools and things like that. Yeah. I'm shocked that the state house isn't isn't a place where you're not isn't allowed to them. take guns. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I thought when I saw those photos, I thought, well, that must be against the law, mustn't it? But no, no, that's perfectly fine. That perfectly um, fine. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's it's got to be an ancient musket carrying <laughs> rule. There for when uh-huh. senators carried, you know, flintlocks at their hip, you know that kind of stuff. It's it's the the founding fathers' uh-huh. right to bear <laughs> arms into the courthouse, into the state house, where legislation's being done freely and openly with no coercion at all. Yeah, but it had no effect other than to be a bit menacing. And what was interesting was that they they weren't particularly stood terribly far apart those gun wielding fools and um and i want i'm fully aware of my my <laughs> bias but i wanted so much for the number of tests to go up from the 15th to the 16th the number of tested positive for coronavirus to go up you know to, to give the lie to the need you know, for the uh for this protest, it's complete. Their protest is completely foundationless, and I'm hoping there will be a you know a commensurate spike ten days after this gathering. That some of the people protesting will come down with it. Um, I mean, I think that's inevitable. I think, um, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> you say we hope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just to teach them as, a lesson. As, yeah. as much as you don't want to see people getting sick. The, yeah. It is this kind of Could gathering, these, these kinds of protests, and the kind of people getting together and and without masks in many cases. Although some some of them are wearing kind of bandanas like they usually wear when they're doing armed protests, but just to yeah. to avoid um, being recognised. But yeah. but in but many cases, people are gathering without masks, and it's just obviously it is going to spread because some people will have it and not know they have it. That, that's how it spreads. Yeah, 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 and it and you know the whole of the. The the Republican response to the lockdown in Michigan is framed around it's an economic you know they she's called uh, Gretchen Whitmer mm-hmm. and there I saw some posters that had had it redone as Gretchen Whitler yeah so like other Hitler people with put the W on Heil, the Heil Whitmer as well yeah uh, and think, and, wow yeah. and so she's it's there bizarre. she is being being as Democrat as you can which is looking out for other people's interests, for the safety of others and the health of other people. And their response is, or certainly the the um, the red voting populace, who, let's face it, are probably the poorer, least economically f- flush people in the northern states are more likely to be blue-collar workers who are, you know, responding to the republican propaganda or that kind of you know they yeah. will vote republican they're those kind of people so they're seeing it not as 
uh, an altruistic, altruistic act to prevent them from dying, um, but rather a thing from locking it down. Because, you know, there was a report in the Michigan State University that the uh, the North's population increases by 93,000 people um, between July and January because of tourists going to their second homes and it brings in like billions of dollars yeah. from so people coming in from outside. So the lockdown has kind of has hit those people who are relying on tourists from uh, the southern part of Michigan to go up to their uh, country retreats and go fishing, go hunting, go boating. And, and unfortunately, yeah, this is one of the problems of a multi-state system where there is no federal oversight and i mean you know trump doesn't have the right to tell governors whether to open or not though we've gone through that but um but but the problem with some governors wanting to please him by opening and wanting to get the the um economy going and and some wanting to you know look after people's health is that you get what happened in georgia last week when they opened up hair salons and and beauty parlors and things like that 62,000 people a day additional people yep. went from neighboring states into georgia yeah because they could suddenly go to things that they couldn't get to in their own states and that means those people will go to these places where there are not they are not social distancing in hair salons you can't be 2 meters away from someone and be doing their hair, Cut their um, hair. No. <laughs> and no. And they're going to get coronavirus. They're going to take it back to their own state, and yeah, uh, that's and you cut it. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's how one... that's how the plague spread in yeah. uh, in the UK when the Scots yeah. came to attack the English who had the plague, and then the Scots yeah. all got the plague and took it back to Scotland. That's exactly yeah. what happened in the kind of sixteen hundreds. So exactly, you know that we... that's Georgia this today. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, what the um, what uh, Nicola Sturgeon, who's the um, the leader of the uh, Scottish National Party and the the which is the ruling party in Scotland, is trying to avoid that happening again. Yeah, they um, promised not to attack us at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they might build a wall. They're staying yeah. their side of the Had- of Hadrian's Wall this time. Exactly. Yeah. The the other thing that kind of strikes me is all these people who uh, at the um, the Michigan riots were going. We need a haircut. Let's, let's think. You go, really? You, you're prepared to risk your life for, and you think, why do you need to go to a barber's to get a haircut? Either you're going to have some sort of shocking deliverance kind of mullet, or you're going to have a buzz cut haircut anyway. <laughs> he, he says, he says, <laughs> stereotyping, you know, Half rural the dwellers. <laughs> Half the you know, probably yeah. not the ones that listen to this podcast. So it's fine. No, no, of course, yeah. no. They've got the beautifully self-cut, <laughs> coiffured hair, or they've just shaved it all off, stuck a wig on, like Andy Warhol. And the second, so the second, speaking of shocking Warhol-esque wigs, the second example is, um, it's yeah, it's it's another one of those, as you said earlier, it's difficult to find them actually saying it because they're very careful not to. Um, so I'm going to talk, it, this is a kind of, uh, there's lots of implied 
historical fallacy going on, I think. So this is uh, Boris back from um, death's door uh, on April 27th. He was back at work and he stood outside Downing Street and he said this. Then this is the moment when we have begun together to wrestle it to the floor. And so it follows that this is the moment of opportunity. This is the moment when we can press home our advantage. It is also the moment of maximum risk. Because I know there will be many people looking now at our apparent success and beginning to wonder whether now is the time to go easy on those social distancing measures. And I ask you to contain your impatience because I believe we are coming now to the end of the first phase of this conflict. And in spite of all the suffering, we have so nearly succeeded. We defied so many predictions. We did not run out of ventilators or ICU beds. We did not allow our NHS to collapse. And on the contrary, we have so far collectively shielded our NHS so that our incredible doctors and nurses and healthcare staff have been able to shield all of us from an outbreak that would have been far worse. So there I think he's laying the, the foundations for um, saying, OK, it could have been so much worse. We've done what we did do. There are many people, he's even used the Trumpish, 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 Trumpian phrase, many people are looking now at our apparent success, <laughs> which we'll come on to in a minute, um, begin to wonder whether now is the time to go easier. So the implication is, so we've got, we've succeeded. We've done so well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've done now. so well because of the social distancing. There's almost a question as to whether we needed ever to have done it or whether we need to do it now. And the Apart from the fact that this is the he, he likens the virus to a mugger that we've managed to wrestle to the floor, and now we press home our advantage. Well, I don't understand what that is. How do you Name press home an advantage face. against the virus? <laughs> yeah, don't get you know for an invisible foe. <laughs> but this that yeah. So so he's kind of saying we have been very successful because we. He kind of goes off with a little sleight of hand, saying yeah, we didn't run out of ventilators. Mm, yeah, questionable. We didn't need the massive ho uh, hospitals that we built. That we, know, didn't we didn't have enough nurses for anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we didn't overwhelm the NHS. We didn't do all of that stuff, you know, because it's been a success. And you think, well, that's because we've done what we did. And so on the matter of it's been so successful. So on the 27th of April, there have been 25,000 deaths Um on the 28th of April, the day after he made the speech, there were 909 new deaths recorded and it continued to rise to yesterday, Saturday, May 9th, to 31,500. And Keir Starmer points this out. When the Prime Minister returned to work a week ago Monday, he said that many people were looking at the apparent success of the government's approach. But yesterday we learnt, tragically that at least 29,427 people in the UK have now lost their lives to this dreadful virus. That's now the highest number in Europe. It's the second highest in the world. That's not success or apparent success. So can the Prime Minister tell us how on earth did it come to this? 
Yeah, so how did it, how did it come to this? It isn't success. We went from um, being not the worst. Italy was for a long time the worst sufferer and had the highest number of cases, highest number of deaths. And then we have now got the most in Europe and ergo the the second highest in the world, second only to the US. Um, Johnson is about to go on to say, ah, uh, we've just been, so he's doing an appeal to authority and an appeal to numbers. He's just saying we shouldn't be measuring ourselves against continental numbers. They're all done on a different kind of system and it's not valid to actually compare ourselves. So he's not answering the question. He's just saying, ah, well, we're not the worst. Um, what we are. And Keir Starmer retorts with, well, if it isn't valid to compare ourselves, why have the government been putting out slides like this for the last seven weeks where we are comparing ourselves? So I think in the, the historical fallacy that's implied throughout also is there's um, one of the things that Johnson keeps saying is we've done what the science has told us to do. I'm like Trump. And um, so uh, I think there's something in there about the whole follow the science thing being a, a it's a hedge in case of the historical fallacy being implied, applied in the future. Because if the COVID threat turns out to have been less than we were told it might be by the scientists, i.e. the lockdown was successful, then people will ask what was the fuss about yeah. given the massive economic impact. So, they're, you know, he's not to give the guy any leeway at all, but he's... He's walking this tightrope between um, it could kill many hundreds of thousands of people, so we need to do something about it. If we do something about it, it will lessen the threat, so it looks less threatening than the flu with a massive economic um, impact. So people will say, well, this is, and I've seen that, several times saying, well, this is it's about the same number as die of the flu every year. What's the fuss? That's because we've been successful in doing, you know, doing the lockdown. We've still not been as successful as we might have been or as successful as um, Gretchen Whitmer. Yeah, and it's similar to the, the complete fucking idiots who say things like, you know, this number of people die in car accidents and we don't shut the country yeah, down Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, yeah, you know, yeah. highly contagious well, this, like, this car accidents. Die. Yeah. <laughs> and, this number of people die from being rolled on by walruses. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. We don't go around shooting walruses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they're, they're ignoring the fact that, first of all, that's a, they're not contagious. There's no reason to shut the country down for that. That's over the course of a whole year. This has been three months. This is only this number because we did what we've done, and otherwise it would yeah. be a lot more. And yeah, yeah it's it, the thing is, it's quite difficult with this fallacy because the um, you can only do it after the fact. You can only mm. look back and say the situation we're in now is is just what was always going to happen, yeah. and. There's a, a book called The Black Swan by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, which talks about unusual events. Things like 9-11, if someone prior to 9-11 had suggested putting expensive 
and complicated locks on cockpit doors in planes. Mm. And they'd done that, and it had cost millions, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds around the world to do that on every aeroplane, and then nothing had happened. Yep. Then that person wouldn't be seen as a hero. <laughs> they wouldn't yeah, be yeah. seen as... They, they would probably be seen as having wasted a lot of money. <laughs> mm. And it's only in, yep. with hindsight that you can look back and say, well, you know, what the fuck were we doing? Why didn't we have locks on cockpit doors? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. you can actually put it in context. And that's the thing with this fallacy is it's about ignoring the context. And, and you have to, when you're evaluating the situation we're in now or where we might get to, you have to look at the context and the history that, that led up to that situation and evaluate it realistically and, and appropriately. the backstreet boys there with if i knew then what i know now excellent okay so in the fallacy in the wild we like to look at the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective and our first example is from the 2009 nicholas cage film knowing uh which i mean it's not even good for a nicholas cage film to be honest <laughs> but um <laughs> okay wow yeah <laughs> right and yeah yeah <laughs> That's doubly damning right there. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, small spoiler alert. Um, it, there's it, The film involves uh, kind of natural disasters, including solar flares that are going on. And in this scene, which is very, very short, this clip, um, there is a uh, an announcement on TV, like an emergency broadcast, saying that basically people need to start panicking about these solar flares because they're going to be a lot worse. And so everyone starts panicking. And the owner of the gas station that people are kind of looting says this to someone. Same thing happened with Y2K. They are going to wake up tomorrow morning feeling pretty stupid. So, Y2K is a good example of this yeah. fallacy. Probably the vast majority of our audience weren't, weren't around or sentient oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. to, to remember this stuff. But yeah. uh, in the run-up to the year 2000, there was panic about what was going to happen to computers. Uh, Mark, you were kind of in IT at the time. Do you want to explain was, what the yeah, situation yeah. So was? Fundamentally, the, uh, there was a realisation in about... Well, I was working on it in 1998, 99. Um, that the computer systems that were implemented from the 70s onwards, so the IBM systems and so on, would store dates with because there wasn't much memory that was available to the system. Any dates that were stored were only stored in a two-two-two uh, configuration, so day-day, um, day, month, month, year, year, and the year was only two figures. So there was this realisation that when we got to the year 2000, 
those two figures would be zero zero, and there was this thought that the computers, the programs that were running on the computers, wouldn't be smart enough. Uh, no, that's the wrong word. Wouldn't have <laughs> been programmed such that they would recognise that zero zero was after ninety nine and not before. So yeah. there was this idea that suddenly it would be nineteen hundred rather than 2000 and consequently uh, bank systems wouldn't know what year it was and so if you typed in your birth date as part of your identification into get into your account it wouldn't recognize that you'd been born yet so um, things like there would be error traps that would kind of spring into life to stop those things and there was a fear that air traffic control systems would stop working properly airplanes would drop out of the sky cats and dogs would live together in perfect harmony (laughs) uh, so yeah the the concern was that we didn't really know what would happen when it flipped over to to the year 2000 yeah and um and the fact that in many cases at least you couldn't just kind of change the date to 2000 and see what would happen because you might yeah. not be able to make it change back or, you know, everything yeah. could go tits up immediately. Yeah. And um, the thing is, afterwards, because planes didn't fall from the sky and hospitals yeah. didn't shut down and Banks we, everything was OK, yeah. Yeah. everyone went, oh, well, we didn't need to worry about that then. Yeah, but yeah. Meanwhile, behind <laughs> the scenes, the fact. there were you know, hundreds of thousands of people working yeah, on... Yeah, literally hundreds of thousands of computer programmers. Yeah were were employed to fix the problem before it happened. Yeah. Um and it worked. And and so we don't know what could have happened, what would what the bad situation might have been, but it probably would have caused some problems. Um but we knew about it in advance because we saw it coming. Not not hugely far in advance. I don't know at what point they started talking about it, but it was a bit of a panic. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um and so that's why it's looked back back on now by people who don't know the context of it as as being kind of an unnecessary panic and something that people were just, yeah. you know, overblown about because they don't recognise that we actually fixed it. Yeah, and they people go, oh, yeah, well, they were all... But then we all woke up perfectly alive <laughs> and well and able to, you know, get money out. And, and of course, as there always is, there was a, a group of people saying before... 2000 oh this is all overblown and unnecessary yeah um and and it seemed like they were proved right to some people to to, you know after the fact but but yeah that's always the case unfortunately that the the byproduct of solving a problem is that the people who claim there was never a problem in the first place exactly uh, yeah look well that's well that's the whole thing for trump (laughs) doing doing away with the pandemic planning yeah absolutely you know organization well we don't need that because we We've, you know, we've never had to suffer from not planning if, yeah, one. If so let's do away just, with it. We can just yeah. hire people then. We don't need to prepare for one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just as well he's done that because look what could have happened. Hundreds of thousands yeah. of people could have been infected. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so our second example in Fantasy in the Wild this week is climate change. Um, and again, we don't have a specific clip to play for this because the main thing I want to talk about was an article in the Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. by a climate sceptic called Patrick Michaels, who runs the Cato Institute, 
who uh, which is funded about 40 percent based on what he says by the oil industry um right uh, and therefore well you make your own decisions on that but um <laughs> he he has repeatedly argued against uh, the science of climate change and mm. there was a guy called james hansen who in 1988 wrote a paper uh, predicting the course of global warming based on three separate um, scenarios. One where um, carbon dioxide was was just able to be put out there and greenhouse gases in general were able to be put out into the atmosphere with abandon and no, no one did anything about it. Scenario B, which was where we tried to do something about it and actually reduce the amount of greenhouse gases that were going out there. And scenario C, which was basically where we cut it to completely zero almost immediately, which was never really very realistic. And um, scenario A claimed a certain amount of warming that if if we didn't do anything and if it got worse, in fact. Um, And when people like Patrick Michaels looked at what actually happened... Uh, in when he looked at it in 1998, which was 10 years after the uh, study came out, he said, "Well, look, this hasn't happened. You know, the the globe, the warming catastrophe that was predicted, we we're not there. We're nowhere near there. And so, obviously, this isn't true. But he completely deleted scenarios B and C ah. <laughs> from what he was talking about, um, yeah. which was handy and." Yeah. And then uh, looking again at um, when when he did a, a piece in the Wall Street Journal just last year, he um, said that global surface temperatures have not increased significantly since 2000, discounting the larger than usual El Nino of 2015-2016. And um, Mr. Hansen's model, uh, surface temperature... Are behaving as if we had capped 18 years ago the carbon dioxide emissions responsible for the enhanced greenhouse effect. So he's saying that so so long as you ignore the unusually warm El Nino, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and and uh, include all the La Ninas which um, which cool the the planet's surface, then uh, our our warming hasn't happened like Hansen predicted it would. So. Yeah, we just, right. it's, that's what we need to do, is just ignore the warm bit, <laughs> the, the, the unusually warm bit. Proves the, the, the that theory. proves, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we can yeah. prove that Hansen was wrong in his predictions, and, yeah. and we never needed to do any of the, um, the, the stuff that we've done. Well, actually, it doesn't address the fact that the reason that it is actually remarkably close to scenario B, where we are now, um, is is because of all the work we've done because of yeah. essentially the Montreal Protocol largely which was in 1987 which dramatically reduced at least CFCs chlorofluorocarbons which were in aerosols and they were released when people made polystyrene um, yeah. food packaging which McDonald's had at the time certainly in the UK and now they're using cardboard and and once you factor in CFCs they were reduced a lot more than Hansen's models predicted they would be. Once you factor in how much they were actually re- reduced, Hansen's models become almost exactly right for where we are now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Michaels and other climate change deniers basically are saying, you know, look at the predictions, the worst case predictions that were happening back in the 80s. That hasn't come true. Therefore, climate change isn't real. Yeah, yeah. And the ones that are really close, 
if you take out yeah. the bit that shows it's gone up, then it hasn't gone up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Temperature and, hasn't and increased actually, if you omit the yeah. data showing it's increased. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and what, um, also, and what Hansen is kind of saying as well is if you take out the bits that have ameliorated the uh, increase, so the the uh, the work that he didn't predict to yeah. uh, bring down the chlorofluorocarbons, then if you take that bit out, then it would have gone up some more. Yeah. But it hasn't. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the Montreal Protocol in, in 1987, the Kyoto Protocol in, in 1999, I think, have had an impact. They haven't mm. done enough. They haven't yep. brought the rise in temperature to any kind of plateau but they have had an impact on no on where we where we would have been had we not done that and saying look the 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 worst case scenarios haven't come true is ignoring that we've done all that work yeah so we're gonna we're gonna play fake news folks i love the game it's a great game i understand the game as well as anybody as well as anybody. Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. OK, so, you see, I realise that um, now we've got to episode 49, we can plainly see that if we if we had played quite, not quite so many games, then I could have got the same score. And if we'd only played the games where you won, then you'd be doing a lot better. Well, yeah, quite. Yeah. So it's, it's completely, you know, we needn't have done, gone through that whole process to, uh, to kind of humiliate me, basically, where <laughs> I've lost. In If we just cut those bits out, then we could have got to the score a lot quicker with a lot less hassle. Yeah, we needn't have done this for 49 episodes. We could have just skipped over the ones where I lost tremendously in a row. Just get, get those out of the way and just, yeah. Just give me the average score. <laughs> what is the score? What am... The score. Oh, the score I... currently is is twenty out of forty eight. So, uh, which is somewhere average. around forty four percent. Something there's yeah. no forty two percent. Something like that. Um, oh, yeah, but no, it's uh, one day, it's better. One day I would it's just better than chance. It's, is it? So oh, yeah, okay. it's, yeah, thirty three percent would be chance. So oh, okay. Although oh, right. I have, oh, yeah. there have been a couple where I've just kind of given it to you anyway. So yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> Gloss <laughs> over those ones, yeah. <laughs> so, our theme this week is um, yep. Trump's virtual town hall that he did at the feet of the Lincoln statue in the Lincoln Memorial, uh, yeah. which was which was like irony just wasn't quite dead enough yet, so he had to had to put it there. And in the virtual town hall, uh, he answered questions from real Americans who had. Mm-hmm. Um, recorded videos of them asking questions and sent them to the TV company. And um, I, he seemed to be... I I was, I was kind of thought that maybe they would let him know what the questions were going to be in advance. Right. And it's possible they did, and he right. was still this bad answering them. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah. it seemed like maybe he was just genuinely answering them off the top of his head. So, you know, credit where credit's due on that. Um, he, he had either been very poorly prepared by his staff or not prepared at all one of the two yeah, yeah. and so it's just no <laughs> people that try and prepare him he just ignores them anyway so yeah there is that that's the third option <laughs> yeah yeah so one member of the public asked him 
why, when he's asked questions by the press, instead of just giving them a straight answer, yeah. he rambles and talks about past successes. Yeah. And this was part of his answer. If I was kind to them, I'd be walked off the stage. I mean, they come at you with the most horrible, horrendous, biased questions, and you see it, 94 or 95% of the press is hostile. And yet, if you look in Florida today, we had hundreds and hundreds of boats going up and down the intercoastal Trump, Trump. We have tremendous support. But the media is, they might as well be in the Democratic Party. And why? I don't know. We fixed our military. We fixed the vet. You know, if you look at the VA, you take a look at what's going on with our vets. They have choice now. So he did exactly <laughs> what the questioner asked him why he did it. Yeah. So, yeah. What okay. the hell? Okay. He was he was asked by a member of the public why <laughs> supplies going out to the States have been, um, at best, sporadic. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, the supplies haven't been sporadic. People have said that, but a lot more people have said that we have more than we need, frankly. And in fact, now we have so many, we're starting to wonder what we can do with them. So we're sending them to other countries. It's incredible the job we've done going from nowhere. We had nothing when I took over. And very quickly, we have a stockpile like nobody's ever seen. Mm -hmm. And okay. yeah, well, finally... Yeah, nobody's ever seen it because it doesn't <laughs> exist. <laughs> right. Yeah. And finally, he was asked okay. by a member of the public who had recently lost her job yeah. what support there was going to be for her and if there was going to be more stimulus. He said, you're going to have your job, you're going to get another job, and you're going to get a better job. You'll get a job where you make more money, frankly, and I think that's going to happen. I think we're going to have an incredible following year. We're going to go into a transition in the third quarter and we're going to see things happening that look good. I really believe that. I have a good feel for this stuff. I've done it for a long time. So not only is she going to get one job, she's going to get three by the look of it. She's going to have your <laughs> job, another job, and a better job. And a better job. job. Yeah. And a job where you make more money. It's four jobs. And I, th I think... It, and Probably not I have a good feel for yeah. this stuff. I've done it for a long time. Yeah, we'll skip over the bankruptcies. For... <laughs> yeah. Okay. <clears throat> right. Well, I think... See, number one... It's just, see, this is where you kind of think, it's classic Trump, but it could also be well-observed Jim. Um, so the, mm, you can have your job. Supply's been sporadic. See, oh, I mm, it's, so, oh, it's just, <laughs> God, they're all real. That's the, don't know, have you fixed a military fix of it? Okay, I think that number two is the one you made up. Okay, and which of the other two are you more convinced by? I'm more... <laughs> I like ah, that. Uh, mm. Okay, you've changed the wording there. It make me feel less confident. I th okay, I, <laughs> I think number one... Is okay. I'm probably more confident about done about I'm any more convinced by, but yeah. So number one yeah. is yeah, real. If I was kind to them, I'd be I'd be walked off the stage. I mean, if they come at you with the most horrible, horrendous, biased questions, and you see it, ninety four or ninety five percent of the press is hostile. And yet, if you look in Florida today, we had hundreds and hundreds of boats going up and down the intercoastal, Trump, Trump. 
We have tremendous what? support. What? But the media <laughs> is, they might as well be in the Democrat Party. And why, I don't know. We fixed our military, we fixed the vet. You know, if you look at the, the VA, you take a look at what's going on with our vets. They have choice now. So, what? again, the, this, the question was, yeah. why do you... Why? not answer the question yeah. and ramble off, and ramble talk off. about past victories. And that was 38 seconds. He talked yeah. for two and a half minutes. No. Just like this, he went on to talk about fixing the economy, having the greatest economy the world's ever seen, all kinds of stuff. And wow. Exactly what the person was asking about. That <laughs> it was amazing. Such a jump, that bit where, you know, if, and you kind of think, <laughs> okay, well, the reason I do that is because they are, <laughs> you know, they're quite biased. And you, you know, ninety-five, I'd say, is hostile. And yet, if you look in Florida today, we have hundreds and hundreds of boats go, what going up the intercoastal. Trump, Trump, where? What? What is that? Is that him I... doing in his head, <laughs> kind of going? He can see the little boats going up and down. Yeah, and they're all I think on he's deck saying going, they're like. Trump, Trump. Yeah, I think that's it. And then, and then he talks about the VA. Which, again, I mean, I don't know how many times he's said this. This is one of his biggest lies or most frequent <laughs> lies. He, Obama signed the VA Choice Act. The, the, um, he did not get choice for veterans of which physician they can use. If they go into the VA and they don't like or can't get the care they need, they can go to another physician and the government will pay for that care. That's, that's Obama. He didn't do that. And yet he continually says that every, they, people have been trying to do it for 50 years and no one's been able to do it and I did it. He didn't do it. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. So not only is he talking about past victories of himself, he's to, it's actually... Yeah, they're not even his victories. Not even his victories. They're just, they're just from the past. Yeah. yeah. And, the only, and the only victory they've got is the, these people going Trump, Trump, when they go <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of boats going up and down the intercoastal in Florida. Yeah. Well, there are people he pays to do that. And again, and two and a half minutes he went on with different stuff, mostly talking about stuff that he'd... Hope it comes back to the person on the (laughs) video feed. To be honest, he he only stopped because the interviewer interrupted him and tried to get him to talk about something else. That he didn't come to a natural stopping point. Wow, that's probably the safest thing to do with Trump, isn't it? You Uh You could set up a fake camera... You could say, well, we won't have a cameraman because it's social distancing. So you're live. You're going out live. Away you go. Uh, here's a question. And then just all run away and leave him doing it. He'd do it. go for hours. You could get loads yeah. of stuff done, couldn't you? They could, you know, they Keep could, him busy. They could, they could have an election <laughs> and, and get rid so, of him. So when he's finished, you also think that, yeah, that number, number three, three is right. It's yeah, uh, true. Yeah, and yeah. number three yeah, is... yeah true you're going to have your job you're going to get another job or you're going to get a better job you get a job where you make more money frankly and i think that's going to happen i think we're going to have an incredible following year we're going to go into a transition in the third quarter and we're going to see things happening that look good i really believe that i have a a good feel for this stuff i've done it for a long time so yeah so his his response to i've lost my job i'm potentially getting thrown out of my apartment i am you know i have i have no money and I Can't need eat. the government to help me. Is ah, oh, you'll get another job. Fine. <laughs> By the time the third quarter, be fine. <sighs> We're going to see things happening that look good. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you're going to say that because that's when the election is. And 
a credible follower. Yeah, I have a good feel for this stuff. I've done it for a long time. Great. Yeah, you haven't got to worry because you're a I mean, billionaire. He hasn't. That this stuff is is running the country, and he hasn't done it for a long time. He's done it for three years, and he's done a fairly shitty job of it. So. Yeah, yeah. But he believes it's good. He really <laughs> believes it. That's true. He really does. Oh God. That's yeah. So that <laughs> and he's really shit. Yeah, yeah. No, he is. And it's just yeah. I mean, these are kind of the they're fairly real concerns of people who are saying, "Look, I'm going to lose my job. There's no compunction on the part of my apartment um, landlord to not throw me out because you haven't helped him out because he's got um, uh-huh. you know debts to pay." On the apartments, if I can't pay him, he's going to throw me out and get somebody. Not that he's going to be able to find anybody to get in and pay him the rent. So you should be helping him out, which would help me out. And, and with states opening again, yeah, they are they are not going to be um, letting people claim unemployment yep. who are temporarily out of work. So, yeah, because they can they can go back and risk their lives to to start flipping burgers again. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh you are now on 21 out of 49. Hey. Uh, which is which is approaching 43%, 42.8. Oh, right. Oh, right. So, yeah. There you go. All right. So number 2 was cuz there was Number 2 a, was indeed fake news. That cuz I the the sporadic made my ears prick up there cuz he uh-huh. did say no, somebody ah, somebody else said they've been a bit sporadic. Yeah, and he, he he was he was hosting some healthcare workers in the Oval Office, right? And one of the nurses complained that PPE had been sporadic, and he said it hadn't been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, I got loads. We got loads. They've been, yeah, yeah. And you can, so, yeah, that was. So who are you going to believe? Somebody? That. Yes. <laughs> ah, right. Yeah. Who are you going to believe? Somebody who, who many. Many doctors have said, how, how come you're so good at this stuff? Yeah, And one nurse said, well, no, I haven't got any. And he'd go, well, I beg to differ. Based on his experience of working day-to-day in a, an emergency room. So it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called the London 2012 Olympics were not a logical fallacy, what? which might what? seem like we're. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a historical fallacy episode, yeah. so we're, we're <laughs> looking okay, back well. in time at something. Yeah. But um, but this is something that has come up recently, and we are we are talking again about uh, QAnon believers and how basically utterly batshit they are, <laughs> and. Yeah, this is from an episode of Steel Truth, which is a right. YouTube series by uh, Anne Vandersteel, <laughs> which oh, is okay, a great name. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she is uh, she's a QAnon conspiracy theorist. So she is interviewing Kelly Ruiz, who is a a fellow QAnon conspiracy Nutter. theorist. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and this is the exchange, which was a little bit surprising. How do we approach this from a health perspective? Well, I personally am not in for putting toxins into my body, so I really try to live as best I can a clean lifestyle. And again, I think this goes back to how we were controlled and how we were mind controlled. Even, um, I don't know if you saw the uh, 2012 opening ceremony to the Olympics in oh. Britain, but basically that's all on the coronavirus. They were, they were predictively programming us 
you know, to be able to uh, accept this. And it was like ironic when you see the video and I saw it this past weekend, I was shocked because literally they had all these children, probably at least a hundred children in beds with nurses pushing them around and a virus is coming at them and the kids are hiding under the blankets. And then this big giant monster, this evil dark figure starts coming also after the children. And they even play like a cage, a cage comes through with horses and it's Wuhan. It's literally like a Chinese, there's a lady that's Asian standing in front. And they were re really programming us, which they do. And that's what they're doing right now with the vaccines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were uh, yeah, programming yeah. us, which, which they which, do. Which they yeah. do, of they course. Were, I mean, everyone knows that. That's, yeah, that's a they given. Were, they were predicatively pro programming us to do yeah. that. Predic yeah. Predicatively. Predicatively, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was ironic when you see the video. It's not ironic. That, <laughs> that isn't what irony is. No. No. Isn't it ironic? So, no. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting read of the Olympic <laughs> opening ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it's, yeah. It's like those kind of film theory books that, that yeah. we, we used to read. And, um, uh, you know, about, you know, the, the kind of the, the imagery and the, uh, all that kind of stuff underneath. And we, and we nod sagely and go, oh yeah, I can see the, the references in Goddard's latest yeah. thing, but this is just batshit crazy. It's what the big giant monster is Voldemort, yes. isn't it? <laughs> what? So in a way, if, if she hadn't listened to any of the commentary from the person yeah. Yeah. Talking about what was going on at the time and explaining it, yeah, and yeah. coming from an American perspective, yeah, and being batshit crazy, yeah. I can kind of understand <laughs> why she would have seen some of the things that she saw, yeah, and think it's weird. I don't yeah. get why a cage coming through with horses, horses is Wuhan. Is Wuhan? Yes. I'm not sure. That's literally about, like but... a Chinese. Yeah, well, it isn't. But... It's it's the child catcher from the the. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. Mountains. We're talking about historical like fallacy. Let's give this some context. Okay. The the 2012 opening ceremony of the Olympics, because the Olympics were in Britain for the first time for a long time, yeah. they were celebrating things about Britain. They celebrated Isambard Kingdom Brunel, our Victorian engineer that was really important. And they celebrated Tim Berners-Lee, who created the World Wide Web. And another thing they celebrated was the NHS, our wonderful health service, which they started out with a, a number of kids in hospital beds and they were kind of arranged or there were lights arranged in the logo of Great Ormond Street Hospital, which is an important British London-based um, child's hospital, which does yep. fantastic work. And they transitioned from celebrating the NHS into talking about British literature for children, children's books. And that makes sense if you understand the context, because Great Ormond Street Hospital has long been associated with Peter Pan, because J.M. Barry, um, who wrote Peter Pan, lived very close to it, and he was on a board that was supposed to raise money for it, and at one point he decided that he was going to give the rights to the character of Peter Pan to the hospital, so that any time anyone wanted to make a play or a film or, a, or write books featuring the characters or do anything that involved someone paying for the character of Peter Pan, the Great Ormond Street Hospital would get money. Yeah. 
So it's inextricably linked, this part, this very small part of the NHS with children's literature. And in fact, it's so important to Londoners and the British people in, in a way that when they were rewriting the Copyright uh, Act, because previously copyright was only up until 50 years mm-hmm. um, after the death of the author... And when we joined the European Union or when the the copyright laws of the European Union changed, it made it 70 years after the death of the author. But but then in, I think, 1998, that would have come uh, to the end anyway. When they were rewriting the Copyright Act, they wrote a specific clause in there to say that, in general, copyright dies after 70 years after, after the author died. But with Peter Pan, the Great Ormond Street Hospital are allowed to keep con- collecting royalties in perpetuity for anything that involves Peter Pan. So that's kind of why it's so closely linked. And they used that link to talk about the NHS and then children's literature talked about Peter Pan. They talked about Captain Hook. There was a, there was a child under the covers with a torch reading and there was a picture of Captain Hook. And then they talked about other British children's literature. And they, because of Captain Hook, they talked about the the villains and they used the child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Voldemort as examples. And so this giant big monster, this evil dark figure coming after the children, is Lord Voldemort. And everyone knew that because it was obvious. And the commentator was saying, and there's Lord Voldemort. There's Voldemort. And and, yeah, and the child catcher with his horses riding through the middle of the stage was the child catcher. and, And, And they were from American produced movies yeah, yeah. starring american stars with american uh, directors yeah. and and the yeah. lady that's asian standing in front that she yeah. says obviously that's a reference predicatively to yeah. to wuhan is was like one of a probably 250 nurses on the stage at the time or actors yeah. playing nurses happens to be asian she wasn't in front yeah. she was on screen for about an eighth of a second it was so bizarre that that you can it's like the numerology things that they do with mm. the bible and they kind of pick you know they go back and, and turn yeah. stuff into saying the devil is coming or whatever yeah yeah if you if you look into it and you just ignore all of the context that is actually there and yeah. pretend it's something else you can make it you can make anything mean whatever you want to mean yeah 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 no i think the <laughs> i think the the thing about that was that it was the the last time the olympics was held in london was 1948 and the link was that the nhs was founded in 1948 yeah, that's right so they wanted to have that link there and those and the nurses in it were actual nurses i think that was the thing they were all oh, were they? um okay. the you know real people um <laughs> yeah not actors playing playing huge looming monsters yeah or, or, the, or the and the children were actual children as well so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. not not yeah. huge looming monsters dressed as children <laughs> yeah not viruses dressed up and you think wow that's just so amazing that they kind of and the and the, the woman just goes yeah right okay yeah uh-huh. yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the, the other thing is I I am really struggling here to to figure out what the value if it was that let's yeah. say it was and all of the stuff about Voldemort and the child catcher and the NHS was not true that was just a front and it, and this was an attempt to predicatively 
um, control yeah, people's parents. minds yeah. Yeah. into preparing them to accept a coronavirus, coronavirus vaccine. Yeah. Um, what's, and what's wrong with that? Then? How well? How would that work? For a start. Yeah. I mean, not not everyone's going to have watched it for a start. Yeah. Um, yeah. It and and we're what eight years on from that now. Yeah. How is that going to have an effect on what people believe now about the about a virus which is spreading across the world and we have information that's being given to us now that is contradictory from you know reputable people and from the president and what are we why are we supposed to be getting the information and what our our decision of whether to believe that information now from a tv program we might have seen and misinterpreted 8 years ago yeah <laughs> And and also, if it was true, surely we'd all be going. Oh yeah, well we yeah we recognise exactly. This. We'd all if it was... yeah of course we're ready. Bring on the vaccine. Where is it? We've been waiting for this since Danny Boyle's opening ceremony. Yeah, yeah. If it was designed to program us, it didn't do a fucking good job, did it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because <laughs> there's be still loads up. of people saying, "Well, I'm not taking a vaccine because Bill Gates trying to kill us all." So. Yeah. Plus, if it was true, they would have started on the vaccine eight years ago and we wouldn't have to wait till the end of the year. For yeah. It, to be, and to, it would be available now. You could just go, oh, here you <sighs> go, take this on. And we'd all be queuing up going, yeah, let's have it. And, yeah. and plus, nobody would have mistaken <laughs> the big monster for Voldemort <laughs> or the child catcher from the Dick Van Dyke starring American funded movie, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Or yeah. Cruella Deville from a hundred and one Dalmatians, <laughs> which was an American movie. <laughs> and the, yeah. uh, the thing is, based on the fact that most people, and genu- I think it is genuinely the the majority of people are perfectly happy with vaccines, are perfectly yeah. ex- uh, accepting that vaccines do an enormously good job, an important job. And we will definitely have one if they come up with a coronavirus vaccine. Yeah, I, um, you could argue that I'm make, I'm doing the historical fallacy, saying that where we are now is we will ex- the majority of us accept the coronavirus vaccine, hmm. ignoring the context of the fact that we were all programmed by the 2012 Olympics. Ah, yeah, but what yeah. I'm saying is, <laughs> in the context that we generally accept vaccines as a whole, and we have done for a long time. And I don't think even um, these people are saying that, you know, people are, ex- are actually accepting of the MMR vaccine because of the 2012 Olympics. They're not even making that argument. Um, so unless there was some other major Olympic ceremony that, that made us OK with that. <laughs> yeah, that, we're, that nobody that hasn't come to light yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's always that possibility. Um, then, I d- yeah, it seems like about from, always, from, yeah. general con- from general context... It seems like most people were probably going to be okay with vaccines anyway, and those that weren't, it didn't change their minds. Yeah. So, and they're the kind of people that would be convinced by the batshittery coming out of QAnon. <laughs> yeah. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Whether Attorney General Bill Barr is Donald Trump's personal bitch was never really in question. The only thing we were still wondering is how far he would be prepared to go in destroying the rule of law in the hopes of avoiding the underside of a bus. 
Well, we just got some new data for that when the DOJ made a motion to drop the charges against General Mike Flynn in the case he pleaded guilty to back in December 2017. You remember the one. He admitted twice under oath to lying to the FBI about his illegal conversations with the Russian ambassador. After agreeing to cooperate with the FBI, he was facing a conviction on a single count of lying to the FBI and no recommended jail time. Then, after Trump started pardoning people, Flynn fired his legal team and started claiming the FBI had set him up. Then, he admitted in court under oath that he knew it was a crime when he lied to the FBI agents, that he didn't think his rights were violated and that he didn't want to challenge the circumstances of his interview. The one glimmer of light in all this is that the judge has to sign off on dropping the charges and that's the same judge who told Flynn in 2018 that he sold out his country and asked prosecutors why he wasn't being tried for treason. There's hope yet, then. (laughs) And if this ever-changing world in which we're living makes you give up and cry, spare a thought for Ryan, working flat out in the Honeywell factory making N95 masks. A spittle-flecked, loose-toothed, heavy breather with a tendency to talk a lot leaned over his shoulder and asked him with far too much emphasis on the how many do you make a day, Ryan? Not so bad because he's in a factory making masks, everyone's wearing them. Oh, except for the geezer breathing all over him. And worst of all, the music's playing so loud, the geezer's got to shout. And even worse, it's only the president at the factory promoting the idea of the need for masks without a mask. And the music blaring, yes, it's the 2020 campaign song, Live and Let Die, the NRA-approved Guns N' Roses version. Brilliant. Last night, a DJ saved my life. Genuinely, I saw a headline for this saying that yeah. that Trump had been at the mask factory and they'd played Live and Let Die, and I thought it was a joke. I was absolutely sure that was just a hilarious joke. But then I saw the video. Yeah, they actually are. It's, just like it's so loud as well. It's being blasted out so loud. <laughs> so Hero. Good, and you think he must have been watching that on the CCTV and <laughs> just waiting for the moment to press the button. Fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant. As I think I've mentioned before, I'm an atheist. But like every good atheist, I'm prepared to have my mind changed if sufficient evidence is presented. And recently, I've got to admit, it's kind of stacking up. First of all, Republicans elected an adulterous, gluttonous, avaricious liar as president, and the evangelicals treated him like the Messiah instead of a very naughty boy. They had the chance to remove him, but they voted to keep him in place. And within a month, there's global pestilence. The evangelicals still side with Trump, and now there's a plague of fucking murder hornets. (laughs) If the Potomac runs red with blood sometime soon, I'm not going to be 100% surprised. In a divine effort to make it a bit closer to home, White House personnel have now started testing positive for coronavirus. First a valet, and now the VP's press secretary, Katie Miller. It's been a rough year for Katie. Just three months ago, she married spooky racist Stephen Miller. So there's every chance she's just trying to get a couple of weeks of self-isolation. Yes, 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 and yes. You know that sudden uprush feeling of joy that tickles up in your stomach when you think you detect an inkling that something might signal the return of a long-lost friend. Well, that story of the woman who made sexual assault accusations against Tony Fauci now says she was paid by Trump supporters to lie. Drum roll, please, because yippee, it's our favourite idiots, Jacob Wall and <laughs> Jack Berkman, what paid her? Yay! We thought he had their fingerprints all over it, and there they are, like 
this guy shut the country down. He's put 40 million people out of work in a situation like that. You have to make up whatever you have to make up to stop that train. And that's the way life works, okay? That's the way it goes. So Natch, Diana Andrade recorded the call. So we get to hear Berkman's, So what if 400,000 people die? And you did a good job and got paid. What's the issue? Why are you freaking out? As Andrade rightly said to Reason.com, I don't know how they do all these things and why they do all these things. I'm like, how is he not in jail? We're with you there, Diana. One of Trump's favourite claims is that rampant election fraud is going on, and of all the things he says, this one has the most actual evidence to back it up. Unfortunately for him, it's almost exclusively on the Republican side, just like in Colorado last month. You may remember Congressman Ken Buck. He was the one who got Mueller to say that Trump could be prosecuted after he left office, which was fun. Anyway, Buck also happens to be chairman of the Colorado Republican Party, and they have two Republicans hoping to be on the ballot for the state Senate election. Trouble is, the law says they had to get 30% of the vote at a district assembly, and David Stiver only got 24%. Here's Ken Buck trying to bully the district chairman, Eli Bremer, into filing false election results. Do you understand the order of the executive committee and the central committee that you will submit uh, the paperwork uh, to uh, include Mr Stivers and Mr Liston on the ballot with Mr Liston receiving the top-line vote? Uh, yes, sir. I understand that the uh, Central okay. Committee has adopted a resolution that requires me to sign a false affidavit to the state. Yes. And, and will you do so? I will I will seek legal counsel as I am being asked to sign an affidavit that states Mr. Cyber received 30 percent of the vote. I need to seek legal counsel to find out if I am putting myself in jeopardy of a misdemeanor for doing that. And you understand that I will consult with counsel. the Central Committee that you do so. Yes, sir. I understand the Central Committee has ordered me to sign an affidavit stating that a candidate got 30 percent who did not. And I will seek legal counsel and and determine if I am able to legally follow that. All right, Mr. Bremer, I understand your, your position. Uh, we will now move on. Of course, since this is all on tape and completely indisputable, Ken Buck will be facing charges of some sort. Either that or nothing will happen at all. Probably that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a million cases of COVID infection and over 74,000 deaths in the US, Trump is keen to get the economy going again. You can't make America great still in November's election if everyone's dying and no one's working, hey? So, how do we do that safely then, sir? Not an unreasonable question from the nation's businesses. And who better to provide the guidance than the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC themselves? The reassurance is right there in the name. But no, the White House task force for getting people back to work without killing them all, well, as few red voters as possible, maybe, my italics, thought... That was too prescriptive. The detailed stage directions for childcare centres, schools, camps, restaurants and bars, churches and mass transit providers about how to safely resume operations, a prescription, if you will, was too prescriptive. Trump's spokespeople, perhaps experiencing his fear of too many words written down in one place, felt... Many people would argue that this is not the role of the federal government to tell specific entities, whether they be schools or churches or businesses, how they should go about doing things because the nation is so diverse. Uh, no, that's exactly the role of federal government in an emergency. 
and a school is a school. A mom-and-pop diner in Tennessee is fundamentally the same as a hipster chocolate shop in L.A. Way to shirk responsibility and apportion blame, you guys. Yeah, the Republicans' idea that government is part of the problem instead of part of the solution is a is a weird idea, but they are doing their best to prove it. Yeah. So... Last week, Trump announced he would be winding down the White House Coronavirus Task Force. You know, because everything's fine now. Then people pointed out that's a bit like letting people back in the tower block because the fire on the first floor isn't as bad as it was. Trump listened to the people and boldly changed his mind, but willfully misunderstood why he was doing it, saying, I had no idea how popular the task force is until actually yesterday when I started talking about winding it down. No, you twat, it's not that it's popular, it's just that having people who at least in theory are trying to make things better is preferable to, you know, not doing that. It's a bit of a moot point now, since at least three members of the task force who actually know something about medicine, and there's not as many of those as you would hope, are now self-isolating thanks to the virus making it inside the White House. Boris is a changed man. Having survived the virus, he looks kindly upon the downtrodden, the poorly paid health workers who he himself voted down a pay rise for. He is no longer the braying, chest-thumping chimpanzee king of the baboon chorus, howling and throwing their own feces around, hailing his every breath as a success of his stalwart will over the invisible mugger of a virus. Is this because of his brush with death, his embrace of equality and equanimity? God bless you now. It's because the House of Commons is obeying lockdown and social distancing and is practically empty, with MPs dialing in over Zoom, so there's no one there to egg him on. And the silence, like that of a courtroom, means that his vocal salads of weasel words are perfectly audible, even to Boris himself, who, when he makes himself snort with derision of what he's saying, glances around for support, finds there's no one to provide the noise smoke screen to protect him from the friendly, polite, forensically sharp scalpel of Keir Starmer's legally trained questioning. On the plus side, we no longer have to stay at home to save lives. We now have to stay alert on the lookout for an invisible foe. Except for listeners in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland who have much more sensible leaders who maintain you should continue to remain indoors for fear of being infected by the English. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump, just like our newest patron, Aya Sakurai. And if you've been waiting to become a patron until our Fear Trump in the White House book club is almost complete so that you can listen to all of the chapters you. all in one go, which is, I mean, <laughs> yes. just amazingly clever, then, uh, yeah, now's about the time, really, because we yeah. are two chapters from the end. So if you start now, you might be binging episodes and getting to the end of the book just around the time we are. So you might as well go, and go to patreon.com slash ftrump. Yeah. Brilliant. And you can connect with us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallacious trump. All music is by the outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye.